Soccer Show's Weekend Review. The champions of Africa are the Côte d'Ivoire, whose route to victory was nothing short of bizarre. They had comebacks, they had sackings, they had a sprinkling of flair and a winning moment for Sebastian Hilaire. And if you were at Lucelle Stadium with tickets and you could afford them, you would have seen host Qatar beat Jordan. The champions of Asia never gave up, but where were these performances at the 22 World Cup? And in the Premier League, there were wins for Liverpool and Man United, and Arsenal fans were given six reasons to be delighted. And in Germany, it looks like Bayern's title chances have been blown. And next year, we'll hear Alonso sing, You'll Never Walk Alone. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, it's your friend of mine, Joseph Lowry of Arizona. Hello, Joe. <gasps> Ryan, we're friends. Listeners, we're friends. I'm so excited to be here, fresh off the Super Bowl that Graham stayed up entirely too late to watch. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk some soccer and maybe a little Super Bowl. Who knows? Super what? What is this? The, the is Superb it? Owl. Sorry, I forgot oh, I was on the show with two you. British folks. My mistake. Superb Owl. Yes. I heard I heard that was a thing that happened on Sunday. Thank you very much, Joe, for reminding us. Uh, joining us, as you say, Graham Ruthven, uh, late night Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. <laughs> Hello, Ryan Bailey. It's good to have you back after your week of uh, clocking up more air miles than Taylor Swift getting to a Super Bowl. How, how are you the, this this morning, this afternoon? I'm carbon footprinty, Graham. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Not quite as carbon footprinty as uh, as the Super Bowl champion Taylor Swift. Well, nobody uh, is. If we're going to be <laughs> talking about. Graham, a, a ball game this weekend where you throw the ball rather than kick it. I thought we were going to go long on Six Nations rugby, but here we are going straight into Super Bowl action, which, uh, as Joe mentioned, you stayed up far too late for. Is it like a 4 a.m. finish for you? Yeah, 4, 4.15 by the time oh, I got to my bed. The Graham, funny thing was no. my, uh, my my wife's alarm, literally as I got into bed, uh, went off as she started work for the day. So ships passing in the night, I think is the phrase there. I've just heard alarms go off when you go near with your wife. That's all I heard there, Graham. But, uh, <laughs> that uh, and it, alarm. <laughs> I, I did. I did think of you, Graham, when Taylor Swift was pictured on the big screen, uh, downing a drink from a cup and like not a yeah. shoe. Like, do doesn't people count. do cups now? Is that doesn't is that a count thing? if it's not from a shoe? Yeah, yeah. she'll wow. need to try that again. Very good. Uh, t- uh, Joe, quick quick thoughts on uh, the Super Bowl favorite commercial, favorite moment, etc. Before we get into the uh, soccer staffs. I thought the game was bad. I thought the commercials were mostly bad, but I did. Uh, I have to admit, Ryan, I don't know if you saw the Dr. Umstick commercial. Um, it was delightfully stupid in a really, really stupid, but kind of funny way. Uh, I, I didn't hate that drumstick commercial. And uh, I, I, I sort of wanted the 49ers to win, which makes me feel wrong as a Cardinals fan. But I'm, I'm sort of against the Chiefs at this point and sort of pulling for the rest of the league to catch up. But I guess we're gonna have to wait another year for that to happen, folks. We will indeed. And we're going to have to wait another episode or two to hear from Mr. Taylor Rockwell not joining us on this episode. It's a power trio. It's a He just cream. enjoyed Usher that much that he's he's yeah. still taking some time to, to, to recover. My, my, my head was all over the place with Usher. I'm not going to lie. I, I just didn't know. We were talking about it at the time, Ryan, in our Slack. I just didn't know any of the songs, which does happen to me with other artists, but I kind of put that down to being old. But Usher is surely for my generation. I'm surely meant to be the target audience. I'm 32. Anyway, I didn't really yeah. get it. Let's just have Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg do it every year, I think. Let's do that. Yes, indeed. All right. Yeah, Taylor, by the way, is uh, somewhere taking his shirt on and off. Uh, a sparkly shirt with one glove on, I believe, is what he's up to today. <laughs> uh, practicing for next year's Super Bowl. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you'd like to support us, uh, Taylor put up a bonus video this weekend. Uh, plenty of bonus content on that feed. His and food of looks course... so good, by the way. Sorry to jump in, Ryan, but his yeah. Super Bowl snacks. I had oven pizza, <laughs> Dr. Pepper, Doritos, and ice cream. Um, 
Um, which you know that's that's a that's a fair haul, but uh, one plate Taylor, on one plate. Uh, no, I, on on several plates at several times. But I should have I should admit that should have been the Patreon video as all yeah. of those things on one plate at one time. But Taylor wow. did. What did he do? Did he do like uh, kind of brisket ribs sort of things? These rolls I haven't I didn't really know what those rolls were, but they looked good. So he put me to shame with his Super Bowl snacks. Yeah, Mr. Rockwell is a culinary expert, as we know. We have uh, stayed in his acquaintance during the World Cup, and maybe we'll do that again sometime soon. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Plenty of bonuses there. And, of course, you get access to our Discord, where all the cool kids hang out. Let's get to one of the big main events, Joe, of this weekend, the Africa Cup of Nations final. A 2-1 win for the Ivory Coast at the Stad Alassane Utara comeback win. Uh, for uh, for the Ivory Coast here. Sebastian Heller, the hero here, an 81st minute winner after a Frank Kessie equaliser. Just an incredible story, Joe, in general for Heller, given yeah. the health, health issues of recent times. What a moment for him. Yeah, so, so cool. Like, this is easily the moment of the weekend, and it's so easy to root for Sebastian Heller as, as a person, as a player. Right now, for folks that don't know, in July of 2022, Sebastian Haller was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Then in February of 2023, he makes a return to soccer and has some really awesome moments for Dortmund. And, and then in this February, so one year on from that return to the sport, Haller scores the game winner for Ivory Coast in their AFCON final. Like this is, guys, maybe the only way that what's already happened for, for the Ivory Coast could have gotten any better or crazier, right? Like the fact that they go down in this game, and I, I sort of thought, okay, Nigeria, get this one nil lead. Graham's favorite player of all time scores the go-ahead goal. At this point, I'm thinking, okay, this is this is done. Like the fairy tale is over for the Ivory Coast. Nigeria all tournament long have been a really solid defensive team, which is not necessarily what any of us expected, but they have played very tight games, so they like to attack on the break. And that same pattern held true. The only thing that didn't hold true for Nigeria in this game was their actual defensive solidity when they were back in the final third. Like they, they could not see this game out. Ivory Coast, I thought maybe for the first time in this competition, showed some variety, showed some flexibility, some wing play in the final third. Like this looked like the best version of the Ivory Coast that we've gotten, despite them going down a goal in the first half. Like they had just enough left in the tank, just enough chaos and fantastic stories and some actual good soccer to edge their way past Nigeria in this one. I could not believe it. Mm. Some wing play from me last night during the Super Bowl as well, Joe, with some buffalo Boo. chicken dip as well. Mm. Uh, Graham, the, the Ivory Coast uh, uh, build up to this game was pretty wild throughout this tournament. I think you can agree. You know, obviously the coach departing after two defeats in the group stage, a 4 0 defeat in the group stage to Ecuador Guinea, one of those defeats. This is two weeks after they'd already beaten been beaten uh, 1 0 by Nigeria in that yeah. group stage as well. Comeback wins in the round of 16 in the quarterfinals. But here they are as champions. It's pretty wild, yeah. Graham. Oh, it's just a sensational story. We've we've had kind of bigger upsets in major tournaments like Greece winning the Euros. And and Taylor actually got his pre-tournament prediction right. He predicted that the Ivory Coast would win um, this AFCON. But in terms of the way that their story unfolded during the tournament, I, I can't think of anything else like it. As you say, Ryan, to lose that game 4-0 to Equatorial Guinea, which I believe was their heaviest ever home defeat in a competitive game, the, to sack their manager, replace him then with a rookie coach, to then pull off the comeback against Mali when they looked dead and buried, which is possibly my match of the tournament because of the drama that produced, and then um, to have Sebastian Hiller score 
the winner, which by the way, that was a ridiculous finish for that goal. I'm not it's a mm. fairly unique goal. I can't remember ever a volley. There's obviously an element of luck to it in the fact that it flashes into the far corner, but for him to get across his marker and get his leg that high up, it's a great finish. And it's just a it was just a completely ridiculous and fitting end to what has been a, a chaotic but outrageously entertaining tournament. In terms of Ivory Coast performance in this game, I thought this was arguably arguably their best performance of the whole tournament. They kept it for the it's final. It's not a high bar, though, is it, Graham? It's not a particularly high bar, but they've <laughs> managed to get through the, the knockout rounds. They've obviously beat uh, Senegal, the defending champions, but this was the best that I had seen from yep. them at this tournament. And maybe with the exception of the opening game where we were fairly warm on their performance. But the tone of this match was, was set fairly early on, and Ivory Coast had more energy and intensity, and obviously Nigeria take the lead. I didn't really feel like that felt that that was a reflection of how the game had gone until no. that point. It was their first real opportunity. It's a great header from Trusta Kong. It didn't really feel like Nigeria were creating much. Um, and beyond that point, Ivory Coast prevented Nigeria from playing the, the game that they want to play. They were certainly the more positive team in possession. That's not to say that they were perfect in their approach. In fact, in the first half, I thought they were maybe a little bit one-dimensional. And it was tricky for them because Nigeria back five. Um, was a back five in defensive phase and then they have the two number 60s as well in front of that but even still I thought it was a little bit cross heavy from Ivory Coast and they maybe didn't have a clear idea of how to break through in the second half second half excuse me I thought they found another gear there were some tweaks that were made one of the things I noticed and they highlighted this in the BBC broadcast as well in the second half was uh, Ivory Coast were quicker to go long and actually, I reckon they were doing this not really to win the first ball, but to win the second ball. And then they, when they won that second ball, they were releasing their wingers in the second phase. And we saw yeah. Ivory Coast create at least two good opportunities through this method. Simona Dingra was benefiting from this. So it just felt like Ivory Coast, they started relatively strong. But as Nigeria faded over the, the 90 minutes, Ivory Coast got stronger. I was just going to bring up a Dingra, Graham, and I'm so glad that you brought in some of the tactical component there as well. I think that's a great spotlight from you. Adingra, this was his best game at the tournament, as it was really for Ivory Coast, especially in that second half. I agree with you, Graham. Even in the first half, where Ivory Coast maybe not at their best for the entire 90 minutes, they were still the better team. Like I just thought we were going to get stuck in the the classic, especially tournament stuff, where you know the team that's not playing particularly good soccer and isn't going forward all that much snags an early goal and just sits in really, really deep, and it doesn't matter. What the, uh, the, what the protagonist does, like the game's already done at that point. But credit to the Ivory Coast, they wrestled this match back, and I thought Simona Dingra on the left wing in their 4-3-3 was maybe the biggest reason why. Obviously, you can point to the two goal scorers, Frank Kessier getting the, the equalizer in the 62nd minute, and we talked a bit about the Sebastian Hilaire goal in the 81st minute already, but Dingra is the one playing the ball on both of those goals. He was consistently dangerous from that left side getting the ball really on, on both feet and providing nice service on that left side, really into the left half space. I liked so much of what he brought in. And this is sort of the attacking quality that I think so many of us have been waiting to see from an Ivory Coast team that has a ton of, of really talented attackers. Like there's quality in this team. We just hadn't seen it outside of an individual moment of brilliance from Seko Fofana or a really nice moment from Sebastian Hilaire. Like that stuff just hadn't been happening in this tournament. And, and credit to the Ivory Coast because it feels like it all came together at just the right time for them. Graham, is it fair to say that Ivory Coast have a lot to be proud of at this tournament, not just for the victory and the nature thereof, but for the tournament itself? Seemed very well organised, all the stadiums and the pitches look good, a record number of goals in this tournament. It seems like the bar has raised from recent AFCONs here. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. There were some issues earlier in the tournament with um, ticket sales and some complaints of locals finding it difficult to to obtain tickets to the matches. But by and large, this was a well-attended tournament. You look at that crowd, and, and obviously the factor, the, the main factor is it's um, the host nation that are in the final, right? I wonder what the crowd would have been if it hadn't been Ivory Coast in, in that game. But nonetheless, it's a packed-out large stadium like what does that stadium hold 60 to 70,000 people mm. it's it's a it's a big looking stadium anyway and it was a very very loud atmosphere very colorful atmosphere thought it really added to the tournament the fact that Ivory Coast made it as far as as they did you could really sense the 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 feeling of like national jubilation the president getting involved in the in the celebrations and Didier Drogba living every kick and every head of the ball from 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 the stands he was very entertaining to watch yeah. throughout throughout so yes i agree this feels like the bar has been raised for um hosting afcon that might be something to do with the fact that Ivory Coast spent a billion dollars on hosting this tournament. And I think there might be a little bit of political fallout from that because Ivory Coast, with their economy, a billion dollars for any country is a lot to host a tournament. But yeah. especially for them, I would suggest. Definitely. Uh, Graham, it was, my, it was one of my daughter's birthdays this weekend. And we went to like a soft play place with all the trampolines and it looks actually quite fun. I don't know what was what was greater my what my desire to jump on those trampolines or Didier Drogba's desire to be on that field and take part it seemed like we were both <laughs> yearning for something that we couldn't quite get this weekend yeah I loved I loved Drogba's behavior also I don't know if this was just me kind of felt a little bit sorry for him throughout the match because of course the one the one thing he never did in his career was was win a, an Africa Cup of Nations for Ivory Coast he plays in two mm. finals and, and and he lost two finals so he didn't seem to be he doesn't seem to be holding on to that but I felt a little bit sorry that he had to watch you know like other players a, a, achieve that that glory indeed Joe any further thoughts any key takeaways any favorite teams or anything else you want to highlight before we uh, say goodbye to Afcon for another year yeah I'll stick in this game for another minute or two we talked about in our preview of the final last week Graham with with you Taylor and I about how important the Ivory Coast's rest defense was going to be, right? So think about this as the Ivory Coast have been one of the more possession-dominant teams in this tournament, Nigeria, the, the other way around. Like It was very clear the script, the general script, script in terms of the, the tactical stuff on the field that this game was going to have. It was going to look like the Ivory Coast controlling the ball in their 4-3-3 shape. It was going to look like Nigeria sitting back in either a 5-4-1 or a 5-3-2 block with the, the sort of structure that you, you talked about earlier, Graham. Like that was always going to be the general macro pattern to this game. I, I thought one of the difference makers was going to be, and, and it turned out to be the case, was going to be whether Nigeria found success finding Victor Osimhen at the top of their shape and breaking forward, like they did at times in the semifinal that really put themselves into the, the lead in that game, or whether the Ivory Coast were going to snuff out the vast majority of those opportunities before they really developed into dangerous chances in their own box. And the second path there, the Ivory Coast being sharp after they lost the ball in their rest defense with their structure, like that turned out to be the case in this game. Nigeria created so, so little in terms of clear-cut opportunities. They didn't have very many chances to go forward. When they did go forward, they had very few opportunities in open play. Let's not forget the goal for Nigeria comes off of a set piece. Like Nigeria just straight up were not dangerous in this game. They became dangerous defensively because they scored that opening goal. But when they had the ball on their feet, between the Ivory Coast sharp uh, you know, defending in those transition moments and between some flaws in Nigeria's own approach, like Ivory Coast were just so clearly better. And there's something satisfying as a neutral. Maybe all of us ended up pulling a bit for, for the Ivory Coast in this match because of their story, firing Jean-Louis Gasset midway through, like all this stuff, right? 
But really, as a neutral, there's something satisfying about what feels like the fair outcome of a game actually happening, especially when that's in front of the home crowd. And I think that is exactly what happened, not just because Ivory Coast finally found some joy in the attack, which they did, not just because Simona Dingra and Sebastian Hilaire were two of the better attackers in this tournament, and they were, but because the Ivory Coast were sharp almost comprehensively, not perfect, but sharp, especially relative to what we saw earlier in this competition. Do we think Gassier turned up to the party? After this game, like, we did it, lads. No Where's way. my medal? <laughs> no way. Zero chance. Zero chance. Not even a bully beer could tempt him. Do you get a medal if you're fired halfway through? I, I have no idea because yeah. has, has it happened before? I don't know. We're in uncharted territory here. Surely yeah. you do. If you coach three of the, what, seven games, surely you get a medal. Without him, they wouldn't have got out the group stage. They owe him. Yeah, they do indeed. Well, I hope he got his time in the nightclub with Taylor Swift celebrating uh, on Sunday evening, as I believe all sports teams did this weekend. Uh, congratulations also to Qatar, who, as we mentioned, were 3-1 winners in the Asian Cup final at LaSalle Stadium. The stadium that hosted the World Cup final, of course, in 2022. Akram Afif with a hat-trick of penalties uh, to get Qatar's three goals. Not sure I've seen that before. Also, Joe, I'm not sure I've seen yeah. um, what happened after the... Was it the first penalty? When he did, uh, I think so, yeah. Afif pulls a card from his sock and proceeds to do a magic trick. Now, I spend an inordinate amount of time on YouTube watching Pem and Teller Flawless clips. Yeah, yeah. Right. and magic stuff. I'm kind of obsessed with it. So for him to do that was a very huge crossover in my interests. Uh, incredible. <sighs> More impressive than any soccer you. I've seen this weekend. Yeah, I, so I first of all, I knew that, uh, Ryan, I, did, just, uh, I did not know that about Ryan either. No. This is new. Well, just, like magic? <laughs> yeah, you've outed yourself as a Joe Bluth. Uh, yeah here. oh big time i um when i was younger i wanted to try and be a musician I, I, there's a, a musician a magician um there's a book called the royal road to card magic which i read cover to cover uh and i don't quite have a steady enough hand is what i learned joe anyway sad <laughs> wow <laughs> anyway he did and a he, good trick he, so, it, well so i want to get your opinion on this ryan now now mm. that we know that you're a card magic stan uh, so I watched this replay over and over again. Afif scores the penalty. He reaches down into his sock, like, like between his sock and his shin guard, and pulls out a card, and he waves it in front of the camera. Well played on, on his part to find the camera that's going to do the close-up on the celebration. Yep. That's good work. He, he pulls the card out of, his, out of his sock and go and waves it in front of the camera, and as he waves it, the card changes, right? It goes from, from one thing to the, the, a card that has a big letter S, which I guess is the, the first letter of his wife's name. So that, that was the trick. But you see on slow-mo, Ryan... First of all, the fact that you can tell what the trick was on slow-mo, I don't think that's a good magician move. But it's not even like a sleight of hand thing where it's changing from one card to the next. It's just a, like a taped card. Like it's one card taped halfway over on the other, and he like lets it go with his thumb so that it flips over. It feels cheap, Ryan. I'm just not impressed by the trick. It's a great celebration, but from a pure magic standpoint, I'm oh. not impressed, and I need to get your feedback. Oh, honey, if you slow-mo any magic trick, you're going to figure out how it's done, uh, Joe. You, you do know, like, they're not real magic tricks, right? No, they, they are. are. They're real. They are Ryan, they're super real. They're, they're <laughs> entirely real tricks. Don't. don't That's why I, I never made it, Ryan, in the magic world. <laughs> it is, indeed. But I gave him full credit for doing that in a high-pressure situation after having right. taken a penalty in a not stadium impressed. with 360 yeah. views around yeah, but- him. He- you Go say on. that as if he had to do this, like he had no choice <laughs> but to perform this magic magic trick. And so, you know, fair play, it was a high pressure situation. It was his choice to do it. I don't, it I don't think it's a high skill trick, Ryan. Coming from a, a, a completely novice, uh, never done a sleight of hand trick in my life, mag- oh my magician. I just, I'm not, I'm not as impressed as I, as I want it to be. I just worry about the trend that this sets. Uh, are we going to see like the the box where the person gets sawn in half <laughs> as a celebration? <laughs> 
<laughs> Ellie Hall is going to be pulling a rabbit out somewhere next weekend. <laughs> I look forward to seeing that. Uh, any any thoughts, either of you? Uh, Graham, how about you on, on this on this game? Um, Qatar are the fifth team to win back-to-back Asian titles. They also triumphed in 2019, of course. See, uh, Jordan couldn't quite match them here. They collapsed a little bit. Yeah, so Jordan, it seemed to me, were... were quite strong at the start of the second half when they were battering Qatar with a number of crosses they got into the box and number of chances they created between that 45-minute mark and maybe the hour mark. And that ultimately leads to a, a, an equaliser, well-taken equaliser. At that point, they seemed to be in a pretty good position. But as you can reference, Ryan, after that, the momentum shifted again. Um, the third goal is quite late on when the game is, is, is perhaps done at that point anyway. Um, but yeah, Qatar winning back-to-back Asian Cup titles, just as we all predicted before the start of the tournament. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what is going on there because yeah. they were dreadful at their uh, at their home World Cup. Well, and, and this is so. I think I said when we briefly talked about the the final on on the big thing last week. I think I said you know I'm just sort of done betting on Qatar to do anything positive on the field because it was burned. Like they they won the last version of this competition you know, that's been mentioned. Like they were they were good in that competition and they were good at times in this competition as well. They've showed good stuff on the field before they showed it in the gold cup. And then you show up to the world cup in your home country and just lay an absolute goose egg guys. I, I just, yeah. I just don't get it. The difference was a uh, Tintin Marquez, uh, real name Bartolome Mar- Marquez. But if someone, if someone calls you Tintin, you just got to let that nickname uh, stick. That's the Qatar manager for who anyone, anyone who doesn't know who that is. Yeah. It's not snowy in Qatar though, Graham. We all know that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay, so Qatar won. They lost all three group stage games in the World Cup, as we noted, but they seem to be very good at this tournament. Congratulations to Qatar. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some big games in Europe to talk about, including the Bundesliga title race. Tightening up or loosening up. Delete is appropriate. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. 
That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. We go now to Germany, where Bayer Leverkusen had a huge statement 3-0 win over Bayern Munich, a huge step for Chabi Alonso in his inevitable quest to move to Liverpool next season. <laughs> a huge statement for Leverkusen, obviously in the title race as well. And Graham, let's be honest, this was this was an easy win in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was dominant from Bayer Leverkusen, and you used the word statement there, Ryan. I would also use that word. Um, given given how they've been playing this season, it was on the cards that they might win this match, but match Bayer Leverkusen. But to win it in this manner, to dominate Bayern Munich, to dismantle them like this, they they are right now the the best team in the Bundesliga by yep. quite quite a distance. Now that could still change before the end of the season. I'm not ready to count out Bayern Munich just yet. But there is going to have to be a big shift for Leverkusen to be to be caught because at the moment they are flying. And obviously we had a title race in the Bundesliga last season. This feels different this season. This Leverkusen team is miles better than Dortmund were last season. Last season it was more a case of Bayern, Bayern Munich nearly losing the title and the Bundesliga trophy almost ending up in, in Dortmund's lap. Uh, they still managed to fumble the bag on the final day of the season. This season feels completely different. This Leverkusen team are something special. And results and performances like this move the the needle. Until fairly recently, I was still pretty confident that Bayern Munich were going were gonna to eventually win this title. Right now, I'm wavering. I, I know five points is, is a big gap. I still expect Bayern Munich to come back at some point. But this was so impressive from Leverkusen in this game. Yeah. Joe, it just was shocking to see Bayern barely lay a glove on Leverkusen in this one wasn't it yeah I guys I cannot believe so many things about this game but the place I want to start is that I cannot believe every time the three of us are ready to wax poetic about Bayer Leverkusen I know Taylor is not on the show (laughs) we did the big thing episode all about Bayer Leverkusen Taylor loves Bayer Leverkusen and was probably first to the he was first to the hype train of the four of us for them this season and he missed that episode and now unfortunately he's, he's not on this one either Taylor I just want you to know you were right. You've always been right. You will be right until the end of time because Bayer Leverkusen are the real deal, first of all. We all sort of knew that, but this game showed how real they actually are. Like they were completely dominant in this game. Ryan, you used the term, you know, Bayern not being able to lay a hand on them, right? Like that is the that is very much the flow of this game. I was shocked at how good Bayer Leverkusen were. Not because like we haven't seen them be good earlier in the year. We have, right? They're a very, very good team. But because of how many ways in this match, they showed their strength. Throughout this season, the the big thing with Bayer Leverkusen has been they play out of a a really symmetrical 3-4-3 shape under Xabi Alonso. It's a lot of high risk, short passes, difficult execution in build-up and in midfield to try and draw the opposing press forward and then play through the lines, right? It's, It's sort of similar in some ways 
to what we used to see from Maurizio Sarri in, in Napoli a few years ago in Serie A. Like, they want to draw teams forward to play through them. They don't do that as much in their own third. They like to do it more in the middle third. But they are a very precise, finesse-heavy attacking team. Like, that is Bayer Leverkusen, and they were that in this game. But the, the other thing about Bayer Leverkusen that I wasn't so confident on coming into this match is how sharp they can be defensively. And that was a huge story. When you play against Bayern Munich, even a team without Kingsley Coman, and both teams, by the way, were missing key pieces in this match. Leverkusen maybe missing more of them. Like, when you come up against Bayern Munich, you're going to have to defend. Like, that is going to be something on your to-do list. And that's exactly what happened in this match. Yes, Leverkusen had the advantage of, of going ahead fairly early in the first half, and so Bayern have to possess the ball. But the pattern early on in this game was Bayern Munich controlling possession, and Leverkusen pressing at times, yes, and doing a very good job of it, but also defending deeper downfield in either a 5-4-1 block or a 5-2-3 mid-block. Like, they were so compact and so effective shifting as a unit. They were blocking off all of the passing angles into Bayern Munich's double pivot. Goretzka like, had almost no impact on this game. Pavlovich had almost no impact next to him in that double pivot. Bayer Leverkusen were so good at basically everything you could ask for in this game. I was floored at how effective they were, not just because you know we haven't seen them do all of this stuff in every game, because you're playing against Bayern Munich, a team that up until probably the weekend, all of us still had as the odds-on favorite, along with the bookmakers, and now Bayer Leverkusen are sitting around a 60% chance to win the Bundesliga. Wow. Five points clear they are with as many games played as Bayern, as you say there, Joe. Graham, if we had to highlight any particular players who are having a great season for Leverkusen, my eye is drawn to Alex Grimaldo, who scored yeah. eight goals this season, a few of them bangers as well. But to, to be performing the way he is, he's been a huge part of this campaign. I can't recall um, two wingbacks, if we're highlighting Frimpong as well, I can't recall two wingbacks being so important and so clutch for a team in a single season as those two have been for Leverkusen. I know we had this, the seasons of um, Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson as fullbacks for Liverpool, but they, they were creators, whereas Grimaldo and Frimpong are creators as well, but they're also goal scorers and, and they influence so much of Leverkusen's play. And you look at the numbers, so it's eight goals and nine assists for Grimaldo this season, six goals and six assists for Frimpong. Frimpong, those are sensational numbers for players in those their positions halfway through a season. Obviously, Frimpong doesn't start this match. I think he's maybe still carrying a, a little bit of an injury at this point. He comes off in, in, uh, the, the bench in the second half and he scores, uh, thanks to Manuel Neuer's strange decision to come up for a corner when it's 2-0 uh, in the dying moment moments. But anyway... So he could head in two that... goals, Graham. That was what it was. <laughs> oh, well, does he, know, does he think that goalkeeper <laughs> scoring counts double? That's the yeah, only yeah, logic that I, that I can think of. Yeah. Bizarre moment. Um, but the way that Alonso used Grimaldo in this match was was really important. So it seemed like Tuchel tried to match up against Leverkusen with his with his shape. So um, Alonso responded um, by pushing Grimaldo inside, which effectively moved Leverkusen into a back four, and that prevented Bayern from being being able to go man to man in that shape. So Grimaldo, a lot of the times, was part of a box midfield with um, Andrich, uh, Xhaka, and Florian Wirtz, who had a little bit more freedom. And in possession down the right, you would see uh, um, Sasha Bowie, who's just signed for Bayern Munich from uh, Galatasaray, pushing high to, to press Stancic, which would then move Kim over to the left. And then all of a sudden, there's space in between yep. the lines and Bayern can't go man for man in the middle and Wurtz is picking up space. So it was a very, very slight change, but a smart one to get Grimaldo in there. Because I think a lot of times this season, he's been the one, you know, bombing forward down the, the wing. Obviously, we know he likes to come inside, but he's maybe the width on the left side. But in this game, Alonso pushed him inside to really create those overloads and it worked a treat. Joe... 
what was going on with Bayern here? Like the, the, the lack of chance <laughs> creation. What, how have they got to this point under Thomas Tuchel, I suppose, is my question. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of flaws in this team at the moment. I still think they are very, very good, and I don't rule them out from winning at least one trophy at this point in the year, but they are no longer favorites to do much of anything when it comes to adding silverware. Some of the problems for them in this game are also problems for them throughout the season, Ryan, to, to sort of your big overarching question. You look at some of the individual defensive moments for Bayern Munich in this game, and, and the first goal, I think, is a perfect example of a team that just simply was not ready for what was being thrown at them in this match. 18th minute, Sunsic scores that scores that opener for Bayer Leverkusen. It's a throw-in, deep in Bayern Munich's own half. And Bayern, you can tell from the body language and from the even from where these players are looking inside their own box, they're not ready for it. Like, they're expecting Leverkusen to take some time to go and set something up, maybe throw it long into the box. Bayern aren't ready. And so Leverkusen take the throw-in quickly, and it's Andrich who just ends up driving forward to the end line, plays a nice ball across the face of goal. I think it, it nutmegs Opamecano along the way. And Stanisic is free at the back post to finish with his right foot, and it's 1-0. At that point, Bayern really don't know what hit them. And then the second goal, Graham, you talked about some of Grimaldo's impact already. Just Leverkusen pulling Bayern center backs all around the field to create space eventually in the box for Grimaldo to exploit and, and score that, that second goal. Like, Bayern were just not sharp enough mentally early on in this game, which always feels like a cliche, right? That's, I feel, in my mind, something that you know commentators or pundits will toss out as just a catch-all for a, a reason that they can't explain on the field as to why things went wrong. And I think that that was very real in this game. The other thing that I thought plagued Bayern in this match and has plagued them at times throughout the season is they weren't quite fluid enough in possession. I mentioned earlier how Leverkusen defended, right? They're in their back five. They either are, are playing with a flat four across midfield or, or more often they're playing with their two narrow half-space wingers uh, tucked inside a little bit. And they're really trying to block off access into Bayern's double pivot Sort of the natural response to that is a couple of different things. One is to play over the top, and I don't think Bayern Munich did nearly enough of that in this game. I don't think they got enough direct running from Leroy Sané, from Jamal Musiala, even from Harry Kane. The other thing you can do in that moment is you can drop the wingers a little bit deeper and try to create overloads one line back and then play through from there. But instead, Musiala and Sané didn't get on the ball often enough to compensate for their deeper midfielders not getting on the ball. It was like this cascading cascading set of errors really for Bayern Munich in possession so Ryan it's sort of a roundabout answer to your question but I think there have been all sorts of little small things that have played Bayern and oftentimes they can get away with that stuff but you can't get away with that stuff when you have a team as good as Bayer Leverkusen is right now trying to beat you to the yeah. title there were some weird things with the team selection in this one as well um I don't understand the whole Joshua no, Kimmich same thing I know that's been bubbling for a while and it's not terribly surprising to see him on the bench and Tuchel apparently wants rid of him. I, I just don't get it. I, I look at how Bayern struggled for creativity in, in, in midfield and for control um, and just surely think Joshua Kimmich would be a good option to have in that midfield unit. Then there's the decision to start, I've already highlighted him, but Sasha Bowie, a right back signed on deadline day last month as a, as a left wing back. Um, he looked very uncomfortable throughout the match, but I have sympathy because that is not his position at all. He is He's barely a left back, never mind a left wing back, where he has kind of attacking onus on him. He was loose with the ball, trying to find teammates on the inside. And then as you kind of highlighted, Joey sleeping for the, the first Leverkusen goal at the back post, although Bayern were just as slack on the yeah. other side for the cross coming yeah. in. And there is an element of misfortune in that if Al Alfonso Davies is fit, then his pace would have been really important in that left uh, wing back uh, position. But still, just some really weird stuff across the board, including some, some in-game things like, where is Kim going for the second goal? 
He gets drawn to the pass inside for a second, and that is enough for the channel to then open up into Grimaldo. But I cannot understand why he thinks following the pass inside rather than continuing with Grimaldo and jocking Grimaldo into the box is the better idea. It's just It was just a weird, disjointed performance from Bayern Munich in what has been, frankly, a weird season for them. Very weird. And a weird one for Harry Kane as well, Graham. Uh, after this game, he's now failed to score in his last one Bayern Munich games as well, so he's in <laughs> trouble as well. <laughs> yeah, that's quite the drought for, for Harry yeah. Kane. Given the way this season's been going for him, actually, that, that is a, a drought by his standards. He had 18 touches of the ball in, in, in the whole match. He had, he had one shot. It just never felt like he was able to get involved in the game, but he is... He is the least of Bayern Munich's problems at the moment. In fact, I wouldn't say he's a he's a problem at all. He's been the one highlight about their uh, about their season so far. There are, seems like it feels like there's a lot to be untangled at Bayern Munich right now. Well, a, a potential untangler, Joe, on the horizon. A built journalist uh, mentioning this week that Jose Mourinho is keen on managing yes. Bayern Munich. He's been learning German. He's flirted in I'm quotations sure with the job in the past. He would be ready. Hey, Joe. Woo. Yeah, he, I I can't believe Jose Mourinho would try to go out and snag one of the like five biggest soccer jobs on the planet. That feels mm. like a good move from Jose Mourinho. Uh, Bayern Munich, real quick, come come here. Listen, don't hire Jose Mourinho. Thank you. <laughs> hire Thomas Muller. Did anyone catch his rant after the yeah. game? I don't speak a, a word of German, so I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what he said, but. It was entertaining. His body yeah. language was entertaining. So just get him in the manager's job, I say. I mean, he's, he seemed, maybe there's a point to that, Graham. He seemed angrier with the loss than anybody else. It hit him harder, it seemed, didn't it? Yeah, it, se- it seemed that way. But as I say, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what he was saying. He might have been saying they played fantastically and didn't deserve to, to win and had more shots on target. I, I don't know. Maybe so. Well, we'll never find out, I guess. Oh, wait, we can look it up. Let's do that. Could later. do that. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, last question on this game. Five points clear are by Leverkusen. Graham, are by Leverkusen going to win the Bundesliga? Oh, yes or no, please? No. I hate that question. Um, yes. Yes, they'll do it, I think, Joke. after this performance. Graham gave, Graham gave a, a soft sort of cowardly yes. I'll give a strong, <laughs> emphatic yes. I, I think I think this team is the best team in the Bundesliga right now. The five-point gap is going to be enough. They don't, they don't play Bayern again through the rest of the year. That was their second matchup. Like they have, they have the edge, and they look like the better team right now. So yes, they're mm. going to win the whole thing. Soft and cowardly is my brand, Joe. That's my thing. It's not. It's not Graham. <laughs> it just was right then. It's the unanimous yes from me. I'm going to move past that comment swiftly, Graham. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got top of the table action in La Liga. We've got the Premier League and much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can 
very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show's weekend review. We go now to Spain, where there was a top-of-the-table clash between Real Madrid and Girona, with Real Madrid coming out four goals to the good, putting uh, Madrid five points clear at the top of the league. Vinicius ooh, Rodrigo ooh, Ryan, and Jude Ryan, Bellic- Ryan, ask, yes, ask me, I'm, I'm interrupting you. Ask me the question you asked about Bayer Leverkusen, but for Real Madrid. A- ask me, ask me about <laughs> it. Do it. Are uh, Real Madrid going to win league, yes or no? Yes. Oh, Girona going to win the league, yes or no? No, no, Real Madrid ah. are going to win. Anyway, you can continue your recap for this game. I just felt like it was time for me to make a prediction. Um, and so I had to give another strong, emphatic yes to open this segment. Please continue. Thank you. Can, is it okay? I can, I can ah, go again. Fine. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, great. Cool. Yep. Uh, Drew Bellingham also with a brace in this one, but he uh, went off injured. He's uh, likely to be out for the midweek trip uh, to Erby Leipzig in the Champions League. Uh, Real Madrid now unbeaten in 18 league matches. Uh, Vinicius with a lovely long-range opener, uh, a banger of a goal. That was Graham as well. Uh, This was emphatic, was it not, Graham? Yeah, hugely impressive performance by Real Madrid that that might have killed the, the title race in La Liga for this season. Individually and collectively, they they were exceptional, and and the final scoreline I thought it didn't really flatter Real Madrid because it was a, a complete display. Obviously, some of the attacking play was astonishing, um, but to limit the league's top scorers to such few opportunities, I, I thought that was as equally impressive. And from the moment Vinicius scores that banger of a goal after six minutes it just always felt like Real Madrid were going to win this 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 maybe makes me a sickle to focus on the defense when there were so so many shiny attacking things in this match but Girona's xg was just 0.28 in this game which I believe is the the lowest they've had in a La Liga game this season they've scored four against Barcelona this season they've scored four against Atletico Madrid but there was just never any chance of that in, in, in this match. And and that was with, by the way, Real Madrid not having a single fit centre-back in their squad <laughs> at the moment. So it was a centre-back pairing of Chiuamene and uh, Carvajal. So on paper, that's obviously not ideal. But Ancelotti kept Real Madrid narrow in the defensive phase and limited the space between the lines. And Girona were never able to get through. And one player that I would highlight, Ryan, and this will make you happy because it fits your, uh, your theory is Tony Kroos, who was excellent. And this is related to the centre-back situation. I thought he had an exceptional game, especially in the first half. So 43 passes out of 43 completed in the first half, 10 out of 10 long passes. And that's actually quite telling because he was really effective at changing the direction of, of play for Real Madrid. You look at his touch match, a top, touch map, excuse me, and he is all over the pitch and really giving Real Madrid that control when they have possession. But he was also dropping in as a third centre-back at times just to, I guess, just to like bulk out that back line when they've got a, a defensive two of Chiumeni and, and Carvajal, but then also help them play out. And he is just an incredible player. And at the end of last season, it felt like he was coming to the end of his career at Real Madrid. But I think swapping out Casemiro and, and Modric for um, Valverde and Camavinga or Chiumeni, whoever's in that midfield unit, 
they could get another two or three seasons like this out, out of him. This is one of his best performances I think he's ever produced in a Real Madrid shirt. Wow. The Tony Cross theorem holding true as ever uh, when he plays well. So do Real Madrid. Uh, Joe, your highlights of this game? The, can I start with the low light, Ryan? I know that's that's not maybe not what the people... Okay, the high, I'll do the highlight first. The highlight, it's the Vinicius Jr. banger and Jude Bellingham scoring a brace because Jude Bellingham is absolutely absurd and I want to come back to him in just a second. The low light in this game, especially coming off of, for me, because I watched Bayern Leverkusen first, coming off of that match where the team that I, I sort of thought maybe wasn't going to get the job done did get the job done in emphatic fashion... Coming off of that game, this one was a little bit of a disappointment just because Girona are the story right now in La Liga, even though they're not a fairy tale for reasons that we've talked about on this feed before. They are the story, though, and, and Real Madrid are the giants. And so it sort of felt like this was setting up very, very nicely for an opportunity for Girona to slay the giants. And, and like literally whatever the opposite of that is, I guess the giant just jack stomped Girona in this game. Like this game never felt close. Vinicius Jr. throws a gut punch towards Girona six minutes into the match. Even before that, it felt like we were going to get something from Real Madrid pretty early on in this game. Girona just never had it. Like, this was one of the worst games that I've seen them play this season. They, they looked like they were on a completely different level and not a, not a better one than Real Madrid in this match. So it was, it was a little bit of a disappointment from a neutral's perspective of wanting to see a real title race in La Liga. I, I do not think we're getting that. Real Madrid are absolutely going to win the title right now. Girona just didn't quite have enough. Yeah. I think it's important to apply some context to the Girona story um, because while they have that CFG link and it's not a fairy tale and all that stuff, their budget is still 10% of Real Madrid's this season. They are wildly overperforming this season. Obviously, if we, if we contrast it with the Leverkusen-Bayern Munich game, Leverkusen are overperforming as well and Bayern, Bayern Munich have a bigger budget. But without knowing that number off the top of my head, I expect the gap between those two clubs is, is quite a, a bit smaller. So maybe it was unrealistic to expect Girona to come to the, the Bernabeu and um, do what they've done to everyone else in La Liga this season to a team like Real Madrid. But nonetheless, I agree, Joe. It was a, it was a disappointing performance. None of the, the Michel principles really worked in this no. game. The mid-block was easy to bypass. They weren't able to feed the wide players like they usually do. The third-player runs were easily picked up by Real Madrid, especially by Camavinga, who I thought was exceptional. In, in this game, it was just pretty clear early on that Real Madrid had their had their number, like they did in the earlier meeting this season when they, they won 3-0 away from home at Girona. Poor Jan Kuto had the worst match, I think, of his entire career. Um, obviously, I haven't watched every match he's played, but I can't imagine he's had a worse game than this. Vinicius stole his soul with a piece of, of, of skill for the third goal, and then Kuto gives away a penalty, with, which Hosselu actually misses in this game. But the number of times he got skinned or caught out of position yeah. or made a foul, and obviously it's very difficult against the sort of attackers that Real Madrid had, but I imagine he sat with his head in a bucket of ice after this game, like much of the Girona team, to be honest. <laughs> I like that as the, the punishment for having a bad game and stick your head in a bucket of ice. That was the Ronaldo recovery process at Madrid, I think. <laughs> I, I guess so. They kept the ice buckets around, just yeah. I'm sharing them for the rest of the league. I, I, Graham, I, I think your your point there about just the lopsidedness in this game is is totally right and I, I echo all that stuff one thing that I think is fascinating and sort of sort of shows where these two teams are right now relative to each other we talked about Real Madrid missing like all of their first choice center backs in this game and they didn't really miss a beat they didn't give up almost any major chances they weren't you know, really stalling in progression in their own third like they were they were fine in this game Girona were missing some key pieces. They were missing Yangel Herrera in central midfield. He's been an every game starter for them. And they're missing Daly Blint on the left side of, of their back line or on the left side of center in their back line. And they could not handle it. Like the drop off 
was so obvious to Real Madrid, both in central midfield and along the back line, and, and really across the entire team, when you think about how those players impact the structures around them, Girona couldn't handle it. And, and Real Madrid were very, very savvy and <laughs> frequent in how they exploited some of the gaps in Girona's shape. And Jude Bellingham, I said I'd come back to him, and I'm going to do it right now. The way that Jude Bellingham attacked and dissected this, this back line for Girona was unreal. Like, he has been so good this year. He's cooled off, as, as we all knew he was going to, because he was scoring goals at this unsustainable rate. His goal scoring has cooled off, even though he gets a brace here. But he continues to do all of the things that you want from a number 10 in a team that doesn't have a true number 9, or at least an Ancelotti a manager that doesn't want to use Hosolu as an every-game starter. In this match, it's Vinicius and it's Rodrigo. Like, this is, this is the first-choice pairing. And when you play with those two forwards, we talked about this on last week's Weekend Review, a lot of the, the aerial threat and a lot of the late runs into the box are coming from your number 10, Jude Bellingham, who can conduct play and was filthy on the ball in Real Madrid's own half in this match, had multiple like flicks and tricks inside the first 10, 15 minutes that left me with my jaw open. And then he scores a pure striker's goal. Like he, he did both of the jobs of a number 10 in this game, in this diamond shape for Real Madrid. He was conducting play deeper downfield. And then his first goal, Real Madrid's second, comes in the 35th minute, is just a stupid Good goal from Jude Bellingham. Like, this this guy is a number eight at his best, I think, or maybe he's number 10 at his best, or now maybe he's a number nine at his best. I'm fully convinced that he could be a world-class, like, top five in the world, number nine, if that is going to be his position moving forward. And it's not, but this goal, it's Real Madrid on the ball. It's Vinicius Jr. playing the pass in behind the back line for Jude Bellingham, who takes his first touch around the keeper and scores with his second. Like, he is a pure striker on that finish. You could close your eyes and think that is any of the world's absolute best number nines. Jude Bellingham is ridiculous. This Real Madrid team is ridiculous, and they're going to win the title. Here's a wild stat after this game about Jude Bellingham. He is now inside the top 100 league scorers in Real Madrid's history as a club <laughs> he has played 21 games i mean that's just insane yeah he scored more league goals for madrid than any other midfielder in a single season this century as well the last 23 years Wild. not bad he's doing all right he's doing all right and joe was so enthusiastic talking about him just then it looked like he was about to climb out of his seat as well which he's is very so good, good for the listener it's so learn. irritating how good he is he's so good <laughs> He is indeed. Uh, let's go to Barcelona, where there was a 3-3 draw with Granada, Graham. Uh, they went twice behind in this one, 80th-minute equaliser from Lamine Jamal uh, to get a point for Barcelona, who sit in third. Can I just say about the stadium, which we know you have to like basically climb a mountain to get to, so it's yeah. tricky to get to, this stadium, but when they have the tarps behind the goal, it always makes me think like it's empty. I know it's not, but it's it looks weird on camera. Just saying. Uh, it's not far off empty. I think some of their attendances have not been ideal this season, partly due to the um, location of it and partly due to the way Barcelona have been playing this season. This was a classic Barcelona performance for this season. The TLDR is defensively calamitous with some real quality in in an attacking sense. Some of the attacking play from Granada was excellent. Facundo Pellistri, who is um, on loan from Manchester United, he really stood out. He looked really sharp on the right wing, and there's an assist for one of the Granada goals from him, which is fantastic. But the standout player on, on the pitch was Laminyamal. You mentioned him um, in, in your uh, lead-in there, Ryan. He basically salvaged a point for Barcelona all on his own. He is the best thing about Barca right now. He is ridiculously talented. He plays with real courage and authority for someone so young and it's a little bit embarrassing for Barcelona that they seem to be so relying on this teenager who's only broke through broken through this season 
Um, but he is fantastic and he's kind of the reason I'm watching Barcelona games at the moment because they're just coasting till the end of the season. Obviously, they have the Champions League, but in La Liga, they're just coasting until Xavi leaves at the end of the season. But Lamine Yamal, he's a, a special player. Let's turn our attention to the Premier League where Liverpool had a 3-1 win over Burnley. Back on top of the table with the win there. Two points clear of City. They went uh, having played an extra game in this one. No Mo Salah in this one, no Graham, but uh, Burnley gonna Burnley, I guess. Yeah, I thought this was actually a decent test for Liverpool and Burnley did create some some good opportunities. They scored a, a good goal from a, a corner kick, but you're right, Ryan. Burnley going to Burnley. They, they had um, the, the same old issues we've seen all the way through the season were evident here. They've had two big issues this season, defending set pieces and playing out from the back. And Liverpool are custom-built to expose those weaknesses, and, and that's what they did. Uh, I love the Darwin Nunes uh, header for the third Liverpool goal. I, I'm, I'm a full-on Darwin Nunes fanatic at this point. I think my favourite player in, in the Premier League. But it comes from a, a set-piece where there were three or four instances of dreadful Burnley defending from set pieces and and if they can't solve those two issues they they are going down it's kind of it's already starting to look like it might be too late for them to make that recovery uh Man City with a 2-0 win over Everton in this uh weekend as well uh, Erling Haaland with a brace his first goal since November in 419 Premier League minutes uh, Everton Graham did well to hold on for over an hour in this one frustrating as well they were for City yeah, so he had to wait and, and be patient to break down Everton, who were, who were um, getting lots of players behind the ball and frustrating City. But the goal bot has had a, a software update and he scored the two goals that gave his team the win here. As you mentioned, Ryan, that's 10 wins in a row in all competitions mm. for yeah. City. Six in a row in the Premier League. They've got De Bruyne back. They've got Haaland back. Just feels very ominous and kind of inevitable all of a sudden and the way that De Bruyne and Haaland combined for the second goal one plays the pass and the other makes the run and and, and finish obviously that's Haaland I expect we'll see that a few more times between now and the end of the season they're they just they just have this knack Man City they round the corner into the new year we see it every season and and they just string the wing the wins together so yeah, yeah. I'm back to thinking they're going to be very difficult to topple now also, let's pull one out for James Strakowski, who gets absolutely bodied on that second goal. from I believe it's the second goal from Erling Holland. The run in behind. It's not just the speed, because Strakowski does fairly well and has enough cushion to sort of hang with Holland, like, step for step early on in the play. Uh, but then Holland just, like, shoulder checks him to the ground, gets yeah. him on his left foot and finishes. Uh, that's not the software update, because we've seen that before. But another example of Erling Holland being the best goal scorer on the planet. There we go. Indeed. Uh, Arsenal still showing that their post-Salt Bay run continues in fine fashion. A 6-0 win at West Ham. Arsenal's biggest ever Premier League away win here. West Ham's biggest loss at home since 1963. Fans streaming out at halftime, Graham, when they were 4-0 down in this one. Quite an empty stadium for the Ooh. second half. I thought Arsenal were the better team on the whole. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know what they say about 6-0 being the yeah. most dangerous scoreline in, 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 in football? Uh, yeah, this was obviously an absolute shellacking and it was so comprehensive. I'm not really sure what, what else I can say other than Arsenal very good, West Ham very bad. Yes, that's an excellent summary. Uh, Man United getting a win at Aston Villa, a 2-1 win with Scott McTominay. The old McTominay yeah. bailout, a header in the 86th minute. Uh, uh, that was Man United's fourth successive victory in all comps as well. Their best run of the season. Four games in a row. Good going, guys. 
it, well, it's an improvement given yeah. where they were. It's a low bar, of course, but they are improving. On the whole, I thought this was a fairly even match. Uh, My United started really well, but then Villa started to take a, a grip of things, and you could feel the, the equaliser coming before it actually did. I did enjoy the Douglas Louise. Uh, I don't know what it is, like little shimmy celebration in the direction of Andre Onana. I don't know if there was some beef <laughs> between the two of them, but um, Onana had the last laugh because it's it's Manchester United who get the win. And finally, my United's attack is cooking right now. They've scored 10 mm. goals in their last three games. I think Garnacho has really solved something on the right side. Anthony's not getting a look in anymore. He looks dangerous. He, he's quick. He's, he's still developing, of course, Garnacho, and he's raw. But he is a big upgrade on Anthony. And Rasmus Hoyland is finally getting some service. I mentioned that a, a few months ago in the, in, in the season. He was getting no help. He's now got five goals in five games. Two goals in three games for McSauce or McMuffin or whatever he's called these days. And I'm going to go on my rant, very quick rant, about Scott McTominay. I don't want to hear any more nonsense about Scott McTominay. People who follow me on Twitter have already got a preview of this rant, but every time he comes on in a game, I see my United fans on my timeline, not just Taylor, bemoaning him, despite the fact he delivers time and time again. Is he the complete midfielder? Obviously not. Can he control a game on, on his own? No. Does he have his uses? Absolutely. So I'm not even arguing that Scott McTominay should be a key figure for Manchester United, but the role that he's had in the last month or so where he's coming off the bench to crash the box and do the whole Fellaini thing, that feels about... That feels about right. I just want, Ryan, I just want to see Scott McTominay get a bit of credit because yeah. it just feels like his own supporters hate him despite the fact he's won 12 points on his own this season for Manchester United, which is kind of ridiculous. Full credit, but you mentioned a name there that's worthy of comparison. It's Fellaini, isn't it? He's doing the Fellaini yeah. thing. And uh, that isn't always a positive in some fans' eyes that he's being deployed well, in that manner. Of course, and Manchester United shouldn't need Scott McTominay to bail them out in as many matches as, as he is this season. But the fact of the matter is, this is the situation that they're in, <laughs> and they do need someone like Scott McTominay. I just would like to see some fans embrace him, just even for one game. Graham, I didn't have Joe ask a follow-up question about Scott McTominay on my bingo card for today's episode, <laughs> but I'm going to do so regardless. You mentioned a lot of his own fans, sort of like not really, or supporters, maybe, maybe you met Manchester United supporters, like not supporting him really. How do Scotland's yeah. fans feel about Scott McTominay? Are they, are they all about McSauce or are, are there are oh, yeah. maybe not so much? Oh, we absolutely adore him. He's okay. like one of the most, one of the favorite players we have songs about. I mean, it helps that he turned down, and before you say he wouldn't play for England, I think that's true now, but he turned down a call up initially to play for England to come and play for uh, Scotland. So that helps yeah. with the relationship between the two countries. But yeah, we, we love him. Scott, if you're ever feel, feeling low, just come up north of the border. You'll find immediately multiple people to give you a hug. Then you can head back down to Manchester with that ego boost. Are you saying there's actually people in Scotland who will give out hugs? Come on, Graham. Well, not me, personally, Ryan, but Be I'm honest. sure other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, a Glasgow kiss, maybe. Thank you. All right. Uh, also, I, I wanted to give credit to John McGinn uh, for that shot he had in the first half of this game, Graham. I think it was about 600 miles an hour. Uh, at, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you know what I meant, but like, I was thinking... Can you imagine getting in the way of a shot that hard? It would break all the bones in your body, I'm sure. And I actually, I do know the shot that you're uh, that you're talking about, and I also noted, wow, he has hit that like an absolute <laughs> missile. It's all in the buttocks, Ryan. That's where the power yeah. comes from. Glute strength in the strike there. You could definitely tell that. Uh, finally, under Premier League, uh, Tottenham with a two-one win over Brighton. This is like. The, what we pay, what we came for for Big Ange, isn't it, Graham? This kind of performance, 86 minute, 96 yeah. minute order for Brendan Johnson in this one. This this was a great game, and in another week, we're maybe highlighting more of this match. Um, kind of predictable, I guess, that it would be a good game considering how these two teams have played 
this season. Spurs want to build at speed through the middle, but Brighton want to press and win the ball back high up. And then when Brighton do win the ball by uh, win the ball high up, they want to build at speed, and Spurs want to win it high up and quickly. So there there is a lot of overlap between the two teams, and it was end to end. It was a game of turnovers, uh, and in a weird way, you could almost describe it as a as a little bit scrappy at times because of the pressing and the number of times the ball was was changing hands. Um, but because it's done at such pace, it's captivating, and and it was really about which team would be would be able to bypass. That press, I had a lot of fun watching this game. I made a point of watching the replay, the full 90 minutes. Uh, and of course, matches are always better when there's a late winner. And Brennan Johnson provided that for Tottenham in this one. How many late winners have Tottenham had this season? It feels like they do that a fair amount. Um, it does. Cool, I mean, it's not quite on the Scott McTominay scale, but it's <laughs> uh, it's got to be pretty close. Indeed. Uh, finally, we go to Serie A, uh, where the headline game was Inter Milan's uh, 4-2 win at Roma in the pouring rain at Olimpico. Um, Roma looking pretty decent, creating a lot more, moving the ball well under uh, under uh, their new coach, Daniel De Rossi. Uh, but yeah, uh, Milan are very, very good. Inter, I should say, are very, very good. Yeah, a really entertaining match, as the scoreline um, suggests. Roma did a lot of good things, especially in the first half when it's their their, their counter-attack that's causing Inter a lot of um, trouble, and that's how El Sharawi um, scores the goal to make it 2-1 to Inter. But the response from Inter was really, really impressive, and the runs that Marcus Taram made um, gave their wide players something to hit. And he, he's been a sensational signing for Inter this season. I know Lataro Martinez is having the season of his life this season in, in Serie A, but it's worth spotlighting just how good Marcus to Ram has been and also he, he's been a factor in how good Lataro Martinez has, has been because the two of them are maybe the best strike force in um, European football right now while Roma ended up losing this one I will say it's refreshing to try to see them try and play this front foot risk-taking style of football because they do have the players to do that you look at their squad and the, clearly the, the strength that they have is in the attack and we didn't really see them play that way under Jose Mourinho. So I, I don't know if they will be any better. There was a strong start under De Rossi. It feels like they've, they've reverted to the mean a little bit now. But I do expect there will be more chaos games um, like this one under De Rossi. And that's a, that's a good thing in my book. I might watch more yeah. of their games. Well, speaking to a few season ticket holders at Roma, um, obviously they love Jose Mourinho, but it does feel like a breath of fresh air, the kind of soccer they're getting now, because it's a lot less boring, shall we say. Uh, Simone Inzaghi obviously doing very well with Inter Milan. Uh, his brother Pippo, not so hot, fired from Salernitana this weekend. Uh, they are bottom of the table in Serie A. Uh, Salernitana have already fired two managers this season, Paolo Sousa also being fired by then. So a tale of two um, mis- uh, well. They're opposite ends of the table, the Inzaghi's at the moment. Uh, also, Milan with a 1-0 win over Napoli. Tio Hernandez with a nice goal, a really nice through ball from Rafael Leal. If you haven't seen that, listener, check it out. Uh, I think that, Graham, concludes the weekend review, unless you have any more to say. No, I think we covered everything. I think we thoroughly weekend reviewed. It was it was a it was a busy weekend. We had three big marquee um, matches, and frankly, it was it was kind of nice to leave the Premier League to the end of the show. Obviously, we major on the Premier League a lot of the times, and uh, we'll do that next week. But yeah, I enjoyed this weekend. Thank you very much indeed, Graham. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your contributions on this weekend review. Any more uh, predictions you want to give us before we head out? No, no more predictions. Graham, when were you going to do your 35 minutes on South Africa nil, DR Congo nil that South Africa won in, in penalties? Is that is that Patreon or what? When are we when are we doing that? <laughs> Joe, the sad thing is that I did some typing while that game was on in the background. Uh, not great, not great. But uh, Ron Ronwin Williams did uh, did <laughs> win basically another penalty shootout on his own. So 
Yeah, he had quite the tournament. The look of anguish on Ryan's face as you said the thing is and started to go into a real point from that game. Graham, you're a beautiful man. I love it. Yeah. I was also thinking, don't make people pay for that on Patreon. Yeah, uh, Thank Me you too. very much uh, to Graham and to Joe. Thank you very much, Lister, for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.